This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We are sticking with the RCMP, and this was a mandate. Now on the news hour, big changes coming for the province's two biggest cities with uncertainty over policing in Surrey. The history of this moment isn't lost on me. As history is made in Vancouver with a center-right sweep plus. Maybe it's time for me to um, finally put my feet up a little bit and enjoy life. The embattled mayor driven out of office facing new questions tonight over the state of his city-owned vehicle and... We just, uh, yeah, liked each other and we thought like, you know, we should give this uh, thing a go. Lovers in a democratic time. The campaign trail volunteers who elected each other. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. It's the day after BC's civic election and we are just beginning to assess the fallout and the impact of how voters cast their ballots. One of the most immediate questions is how a change at Surrey City Hall will impact that city's controversial policing transition. With Mayor-elect Brenda Locke wasting no time in taking a clear stance. Kamal Kermali begins our coverage. <laughs> It was a key building block of Brenda Locke's platform, and now a key priority. We need to keep the Surrey RCMP right here in Surrey. The new Surrey mayor-elect convinced the controversial transition from the Surrey RCMP to the Municipal Police Service is not happening. It's not even a reversing of the transition. The transition has never happened. So. The police of jurisdiction in Surrey today is the RCMP that will remain and we will move forward in that vein. But the man she is ousting from the mayor's chair says otherwise. Well, I'm not sure she can, even if council can. Um, that decision rests with the provincial government. So what happens now? The Surrey Police Service first wants to sit down with the mayor-elect. If Surrey Police Service could move at the speed that it wanted to, will be done in the next year. The $63 million allocated for the transition, much of it already spent. We've already invested in IT, all of the money that's associated to building all of our internal infrastructure around our recruiting programs uh, and, and also the collective agreement that we have uh, with the Surrey Police Union around uh, termination of members. It would be extraordinarily expensive to, to walk that back. Not only tough to walk back on the expenses, the Surrey Police Union says not all of the officers with the municipal force would find a place in the RCMP. There's no mechanism just to bring municipal employees um, into becoming federal employees. The province could be the one to make the final call, but the Solicitor General not willing to make a decision until he sees Brenda Locke's plan to reverse the transition. The city of Surrey is going to have to deal with all of those issues, such as the human resource side of things, the capital plan, how much a transition back is going to cost, and I expect that that will be laid out before the, uh, the citizens of Surrey, but it also has to uh, meet my approval. In 
Meanwhile, Surrey RCMP declined Global News' request for comment, saying it'll release a statement in the coming days. Kamal Karamali, Global News. And one day after Surrey's embattled outgoing mayor was driven out of office by voters, an investigation has been launched into how a city-owned vehicle, one assigned to Doug McCallum, was damaged. Catherine Urquhart reports. The people have spoken, um, and that's what elections are all about. On Saturday night, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum conceded defeat to Brenda Locke. Maybe it's time for me to um, finally put my feet up a little bit and enjoy life. Then, Sunday morning, McCallum's city-owned 2019 Buick SUV was left at City Hall heavily damaged. The damage is quite extensive. You can tell from the, the, the long scraping along the fender, going from the bumper right up into the, to the windshield almost. Surrey RCMP told Global News it has been in contact with the city of Surrey over damage to one of its vehicles, reported by city staff this morning. Investigators will be following up with involved parties to determine the cause of the damage. The Mounties won't say if this is a criminal investigation. Councillor Hundial says the Buick was damaged before in a separate incident. I hope there, um, there isn't anyone injured out there and the proper processes are followed, just like for everyone else, um, to report an accident. McCallum's media relations team would only say this. Mayor Doug McCallum's vehicle was returned to the city at some point this weekend. As the matter is being reviewed, the city will not be commenting at this time. Many questions remain unanswered, including who will pay for repairs to the Buick, which is now evidence in a police investigation. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And Vancouver residents were right behind those in Surrey casting ballots for change. Faced with an epically long list of candidates, constituents gave a sweeping mandate to Ken Sim and his ABC slate, winning the mayor's chair and taking the majority of seats at council, park board and school board. Grace Key has more on the center-right sweep. Four and a half years. The longest job interview ever. It paid off. Not only did every ABC candidate win in Vancouver City Council, Park and School Board, but they also dominated in the polls. So I uh, just got off the phone with uh, Ken Sim and congratulating him on his victory, which is uh, a solid one, that's for sure. Anything you would have done differently over the last four years? Stewart later ducked out for the night, avoiding any media questions. If people were not happy with the incumbent mayor, there were lots of alternatives this time, you know, four or five major slates running. Uh, so to pull off a, a, a massive win, not only on council, but park board, uh, school board as well, uh, was really, um, in, the, in the modern age of Vancouver politics, really quite unprecedented. Incumbent Jean Swanson lost her seat on council. The anti-poverty activist talked about what the future holds for the downtown east side. I'm afraid it will mean um, more punitive treatment of people who are homeless. I'm afraid it will mean less housing that they can afford. I'm afraid it will be, mean more of them will get beat up by the police. 
Councillor Colleen Hardwick lost her bid for the mayor's seat coming in third. We just elected uh, a mayor and council that lacked foundational knowledge and experience. Incumbents Christine Boyle with One City and Green's Adrian Carr and Pete Fry held on to their council seats. Carr talked about a future working relationship with the new center-right party. Well, they have a majority and my experience when I was on council with Vision and they had a majority was that they sometimes stop listening to other people. I'm hoping that will not be the case. Sim isn't wasting any time on campaign promises such as 100 new police officers, 100 new mental health nurses, and cutting wait times for building permits. We're going to map out the next three weeks and make sure that when we're in office on November 7th, we are going to hit the ground running. The inauguration ceremony is on November 7th. Grace Key, Global News. Well, one thing quickly became certain and consistent across the province as the polls closed. It was not a good night for incumbents. Vancouver and Surrey were part of a larger call for change at many city and district councils, with more than three dozen incumbents defeated last night. Julie Nolan has that part of the story. A new mayor for Kelowna, Tom Dyish, beating out two-time incumbent Colin Bazrin. And it felt a little surreal. I can't lie, it's a fabulous feeling. Dyess capturing 62% of the ballot. Voters were sending a clear message. They, they truly had a louder voice. There's certain things that were concerning with regards to crime, with respect to um, housing with respect to homelessness. A common theme across BC with a total of 37 incumbent mayors ousted from their positions in this weekend's election. Whether they were from big cities or towns and villages, voters wanted to see a change. It was remarkable just how consistent the message was from voters that whatever was happening in their local municipalities, it wasn't enough. Places like White Rock voted out Daryl Walker making room for Megan Knight or in Maple Ridge where Mike Morden lost his seat to Dan Rumi. Issues of homelessness, crime and housing affordability taking center stage. Voters are, are receptive to those messages, even if it means unseating local incumbents, which traditionally is not something we see a lot of at the local level. We have a mix of incumbents and uh, new faces, about 50-50, so I think that's really healthy and I'm really excited to work with everybody on council. Plus a significant change in the way for the city of Langley. Safety was the key issue, according to Nathan Pahal, who becomes mayor, defeating incumbent Val Vandenbroek. My goal as mayor is to work with everybody on council, uh, make sure that these policies can be um, put forward and actually executed on. And that may be the biggest challenge ahead, to get councils to truly work together. The dysfunctionality of local government, there's a lack of patience for, for that in many different jurisdictions. Mayor-elect Mark Sager in West Vancouver agrees, saying harmony is key. Just the fact that we weren't a slate, um, but we're really just a team of people who like each other. And uh, I'm sure we're going to have differences of opinion from time to time, but we're going to do it with respect. Julie Nolan, Global News. And for more now on voters' cranky mood at the polls last night, let's bring in our Keith Baldry. Keith, good to see you. A bad night for incumbents, as we just heard. What do you make of the mass losses? 
Yeah, that was a, basically a political earthquake uh, yesterday, Sarah. I've covered more than a dozen municipal elections. Never seen anything like that, what we witnessed yesterday, on so many levels for so many reasons. So here again, some of the numbers, and Julie had these in her story as well. 37 mayors, 37 incumbent mayors uh, lost their jobs yesterday as winds of change sweep uh, through British Columbia. And again, it happened everywhere, large, mid-sized, and small towns and villages. And the left-right split and fight didn't necessarily matter in some of these contests. Uh, and it's likely to dampen the chances of an early provincial election. I think whoever leads the NDP, probably David Eby, is going to have to take a big, uh, take a deep breath as he takes a deep dive into these election results. It reveals a very cranky electorate mm -hmm. and a very one that's just not happy with the status quo. And on that note, Keith, no doubt the provincial Democrats were watching last night's election very closely. What lessons can we take away from last night's results and what could that indicate for a future provincial election, as you just mentioned? Well, I think on, in terms of timing, it's got to take a step back because now is not the time to go in front of the electorate when we see results like this. Again, it happened to liberals, it happened to de Democrats, it happened to conservatives yesterday. All of them lost mayors. Uh, so it wasn't like a, a right-wing sweep, even though Vancouver had a center-right sweep. That wasn't the case in other places. It wasn't a left-wing sweep. It was right across the board. So right now, incumbents, and I think you can apply this to nearby uh, neighbor Alberta, Danielle Smith, probably be a little nervous what, what she if she witnessed these results because she's the next to text the electorate. I have a feeling Alberta voters are cranky as well. And who knows how long this crankiness is going to exist. Until it's gone, governments of all stripes would be well wise to avoid the electorate right now. Yeah, voting for change was the constant, as you mentioned. Keith Baldry in Victoria, thanks so much. Now to a few more Decision 2022 results on Vancouver Island, where residents in Victoria elected Marion Alto. The longtime city councillor won last night's election with about 56% of the vote. The runner-up, outgoing councillor Stephen Andrew, who received about 36% of the vote. Victoria City Councillor Council rather will also be composed of entirely new faces. All but one of the previous councillors decided not to run again, and the one councillor who did, Ben Isset, did not win re-election. I think what the voters of Victoria decided was that there's room for new ideas and some uh, new, new folks at the table, but that also there was an appreciation for having somebody in the chair who has experience and understands a little bit uh, perhaps more from that about how things work and how to make things work better and also perhaps be a bit of a mentor for some of the new folks. Alto takes over the mayor's chair from Lisa Helps, who served as Victoria's mayor for eight years before deciding to not seek re-election. To the township of Langley now, where Eric Woodward will replace outgoing mayor Jack Froze. Woodward won with 46% of the vote. His platform includes increasing affordable housing throughout the township, with plans to require builders to include at least 10% of affordable units in new developments. Woodward defeated former B.C. Liberal Cabinet Minister Rich Coleman in a landslide. Priority number one is exactly what we campaigned on, everything from road infrastructure to recreation facilities to a youth soccer campus to a vision for progress in Alder Grove and getting it right in Brookswood, making sure that property taxes are, are reasonable and don't have to pay for growth. And we get a new plan, we deal with affordable housing, new action plan, all kinds of things we're going to get going on now. You never know. You never know because you never know what the momentum is. I accomplished what I started out with initially, and that was to attract some young people in this community, bright future leaders who I could mentor to run with me, and they've learned and grown in the last six, eight weeks amazingly. That was my goal. I didn't want to run by myself because I really thought it was time to engage the next generation, whether they're successful or not. Outgoing Mayor Jack Froze served three terms.
In the Tri-Cities, Port Moody has elected Councillor Megan Lottie as its new mayor. Lottie managed to win the race with about 56% of the vote. Her victory comes after a term on council that was marked by dysfunction between councillors. Growth, density and development have been points of contention in the city. Lottie, who supports modest density increases around transit, says she's looking forward to bringing the community back together. We're in the region and we need to do our part in terms of housing, but my feeling is that we always need to make sure that whatever decisions that we're making are reflective of the values and aspirations of Port Moody residents. And that has always been what I've said, and I'm looking forward to bringing that to fruition. Outgoing Port Moody Mayor Rob Vagramov, who advocated against increased development, decided not to run for re-election. He was charged with sexual assault during his term, but that charge was later stayed upon the completion of an alternative measures program. And New Westminster also has a new mayor with Patrick Johnstone taking over the city's top job. And it's also a message that we're doing the right things in the city. We've been doing a lot of work protecting affordable housing, building new affordable housing, addressing the climate crisis. We're doing good things in the city, and I think the voters have told us they want us, want us to keep on that path. John Stone will take over for Jonathan Cote, who is not running again. The community first New Westminster party boss fended off Ken Armstrong and former councillor Chuck Puckmeyer for the win. You guys worked so hard. I feel, I, I feel worse for you than I do for me. The biggest win for me is that I'm leaving fighting and I'm not leaving being pushed away. Those are only a few of the cities, of course. Be sure to check out the results in the rest of the province. Just log on to our website at globalnews.ca. Coming up, history is made. ABC! ABC! How Vancouver's new mayor is breaking down barriers and the symbolism of his election landslide. That's after the break. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Vancouver's decisive mayoral victory last night was also historic. Ken Sim will officially become the city's first Chinese-Canadian mayor when he's sworn in next month. Kristen Robinson has more on what that means and a reaction from Chinatown, which is still struggling with challenges exacerbated by the pandemic. In Vancouver's Chinatown, Sunday Tai Chi marks the dawn of a new era for these Chowlin Society seniors. I'm so happy we had the Chinese voice in the city hall. In a historic win Saturday, Ken Sim was elected as the city's first mayor of Asian heritage. I was elated to hear, like, to, to feel that, you know, someone that looks like me, um, you know, is the mayor of a, a major Canadian city. It's, it's definitely a historic moment. 135 years after the first Chinese head tax was paid just for the right to come here and work on building a railway, Vancouver has elected its first Chinese Canadian. Chinese Canadians helped build BC but were rewarded with racism and discrimination. 
More than 80,000 paid the head tax, meant to discourage immigration, although Chinese immigrants fought alongside Canadian soldiers. The history of this moment isn't lost on me. Signs of the Sim City landslide still visible in the neighborhood, where residents and business owners hope he'll act on his public safety promises. Even my family, I very little to go to Chinatown. Chinatown is very dirty, okay? And also in the Hastings, I locked the tent on the both sides on the sidewalk. All the hate crimes that were happening to Asians, it's nice to have an Asian mayor uh, come in. And obviously being Asian, it's nice to have another Asian in, in, a, in a good position to help us. It's a big thing because um, I think being in Chinatown, we need someone to represent us. In its 42 years here, Newtown Bakery has never endorsed a mayoral candidate until this election when owner Susanna Ng encouraged the community to vote, putting her support behind Sim. Because the situation in Chinatown, it's, it's really our plan. We need a change. With mayors of Asian descent in Seattle and Boston. This is a continuing trend that we're starting to see across North America. Michael Tan says Vancouver is catching up. He hopes projects like Chinatown's UNESCO World Heritage Site application will be prioritized. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, the fire risk prompting new potential rules this Halloween. Several more cities mull a fireworks ban as tinder dry conditions persist across the province. We'll tell you where. Plus, change is coming to Hockey Canada. The new rules for electing its new board of directors and why some candidates won't even make it on the ballot. That's coming up. The three municipalities on the North Shore may be next to ban Halloween fireworks because of dry conditions. Last week's Eagle Ridge fire in West Vancouver is just one indication of the unprecedented dry conditions in our forests and how high the fire risk is right now. The city of North Vancouver already bans fireworks and this year the district and West Vancouver may follow suit. Both municipalities normally offer permits for Halloween fireworks starting October 24th, but this year fire chiefs are waiting to see what the weather brings. The fire chiefs of the North Shore have all looked at, um, they're analyzing the situation of course, and with the dry conditions and the lack of rain, they're gonna make a decision sh shortly whether they can actually issue permits or not. Uh, right now, if Halloween was tomorrow, there would be no fireworks allowed on the North Shore because of the extreme dry conditions. I mean, it would just take one errant spark to start something. And more indicators of just how dry conditions are. A fire in a homeless camp at Highway 1 and 104 Avenue in Surrey sent smoke high over the freeway on Saturday evening. The camp was in the woods and set several trees on fire. The fire service made quick work of the flames. The good news is nobody was injured. A 20-year-old woman was killed in a motorcycle crash in West Kelowna yesterday. The crash involving a truck and a motorcycle happened just before noon, just south of the Okanagan Lake Resort. The road was closed for several hours and police continue to investigate. 
Hockey Canada has changed the nomination process for its board of directors and a move it calls tangible action as calls for change at the governing body grow louder. The organization has announced its members will adopt new bylaws ahead of the selection of a new board of directors which is set to take place on December 17th. Among the changes, all applications for board of director positions, including the chair, will be reviewed and vetted by an independent nominating committee. And no names will be added to the voting ballot without the nominating committee's approval. The change in protocol follows the resignation of Hockey Canada's former CEO and its entire board last week in response to an explosive sexual assault scandal involving players. The rules have been relaxed when it comes to public gatherings and wearing masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19, but that is not stopping a campaign to greater access to healthcare supplies. The group Masks for East Van was out at Grandview Park in Vancouver this afternoon, holding a pop-up event to hand out free N95 masks, COVID-19 rapid tests and hand sanitizer. They've acquired these supplies through donations and distributed up to 5,000 masks today alone. One of the reasons that we're doing this mutual aid grassroots project is because it creates access to the high quality masks that a lot of people are able to, who do have the resources, do have the funds to get, but, but we're trying to reach communities who don't have that access. So we've had two pop-up events before this, uh, one in June and one in August. Um, and both times we've given out thousands of masks, so the response has been overwhelmingly positive. People do want the masks, it's a, a problem of access. Also what we do is home delivery, so we take requests uh, online or on a written form, and uh, we have volunteers bringing uh, the masks to people's homes. Good for them. Coming up, Barry and Ivana here, plus. They just needed that little push, which I was able to give them, and uh, Love Blossom. <laughs> Electing each other. How love was found for two volunteers on the Civic Campaign Trail. Their love story coming up. Stick with us. Welcome back. Yvonne Shell is here with weather. Yvonne, air quality concerns persist across the province as these temperatures stay high in almost mid-October. Yeah, record-breaking heat through the day today. Thanks, Sarah. Good evening, everyone. Air quality, yes, it is sitting at high. Uh, I'll show you which areas and what we can anticipate, especially as we get into back to work and school for our Monday. Port Alberni, one of the hot spots across the province. That's inland across the island, 26.2. Old record of 24.2 set back in 2002. Pitt Meadows getting up to 25.8. Squamish and areas near West Van even seeing that temperature soaring through the day today with a new record closer to 22.9. Those are unofficial numbers, but just to give you an idea. It's hazy out there. We've got temperatures currently sitting at 14 degrees. We've got a light wind, even the humidex still though, into the upper teens. And this is what we're anticipating over the next few hours. A look ahead towards tomorrow. It'll bump up once again. We'll likely be into the low 20s and that'll be for areas that are closer to the water. But we are going to see some fog patches even in the mix and that takes us in towards our Monday morning. Air quality health index. So it's really eastern areas extending into the Fraser Valley. Chilliwack all the way in towards Hope right now. We're sitting at very high to extreme or very high rather most areas across metro vancouver those sitting at a moderate risk and those with respiratory issues 
We'll want to try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors. The air quality advisory remains in effect for Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley, and the island has been added towards that through the day today. will likely be impacted by the smoke still over the next 24 and 48 hours. The piece also included within that, and it's all courtesy of the fires that are burning across the province and in Washington as well, and with the heat that we've been tracking over the last little while. Drought levels, all areas across the island also included within a level 5. So we're at the highest right now, included also as the northeastern corners and the latest fire danger rating sitting at high to extreme. So please be very diligent. We are going to track a change on the way, and this will be the big weather story that we're following. It'll likely be Thursday with an increase in cloud cover. Then it's Friday. We're looking at the best chance for some rain. We're hoping to see some precipitation, maybe up to 10 millimeters, and then it'll still be a chance for some showers as we get in towards the weekend. So stay tuned. We are going to track that change on the way. Northern half of the province, wet and windy coastal areas, anywhere between 40 and up to 60 kilometers per hour. Still into the 20s, though, for the southern half. Another warm one, also hazy across the southern interior. The island will see that bump in temperatures inland in most areas across the lower mainland, especially away from the water, will continue to be into the low 20s, not nearly as hot as what it's been over the weekend, but anticipates Still warm, sunny, and then on Friday, we're really hoping to track that rain on the way with cooler temperatures and 15. Sarah? Okay, never thought I'd say this, but I'm really yeah. looking forward to rain. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Yvonne. We'll see you soon. Starting tomorrow, it is the seventh annual Variety Week right here on Global. We'll have stories about amazing, resilient children who have been helped by Variety in each one of our newscasts throughout the week next week. So be sure to tune in. There will be lots of reasons and lots of opportunities to call and donate to Variety. One of my favorite weeks, Barry and Yvonne. Mm -hmm. Looking forward Very to Very inspirational. Hey, mm -hmm. we have not, the three of us, been together here for, I think, a month and a half. It's good it's to be back nice together. It's nice to be reunited it's been again. A while. Yeah, it's been busy. The weekend team is back together. Barry, what's coming change. up in sports, for sure? Yeah, well, the Seahawks' uh, defense has kind of been their strength over the past few years, coming under fire a bit this year, but they redeemed themselves uh, today against Arizona. So we'll have highlights of that. Lions' defense also delivered the goods yesterday in their win over Winnipeg's. So we'll take a look back at their body of work against the Blue Bombers and a nice uh, Sunday family story about a pair of Vancouver sisters who are uh, playing volleyball at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. They're in town for big volleyball showcase out at uh, Langley Event Centers. We'll have their story coming up as well. Oh, cool. Looking forward to that. Thanks so much. Coming up, lovers in a democratic time. The love connection made on the campaign trail meet the couple who met each other while knocking on other people's doors. That's coming up. Welcome back. Well, we will likely still be assessing the impact of the municipal elections in the coming days, but you're about to meet two of the election's biggest winners, hands down. Sydney Morton has the story of a love connection made on the campaign trail in Kelowna. The campaign trail has come to an end, but for these two, their love story is just beginning. Thanks to Kelowna City Councillor Mohini Singh, who can add matchmaker to her resume. We started doing volunteer at Mohini's campaign, and that's where it all actually started becoming friends, getting to know each other, door knocking, going house to house, spending more time during campaign, and it all started. I found him charming, cute, and calm sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, uh, you know, we just, uh, yeah, liked each other and we thought like, you know, we should give this uh, thing a go. All they needed was a push in the right direction to turn that friendship into something more. I just knew there was great potential there 
I knew it could work. They come from similar backgrounds culturally. You know, our value system would be the same. And they just needed that little push, which I was able to give them. And uh, love blossomed. And I'm so happy for it. Now, the couple is planning their engagement. We thought, you know what, like, why wait? When we, we were together, we're the same town, and we can spend more time. It, it's no rush, it was just like, we can wait. <laughs> <laughs> As for Singh's matchmaking fee, the couple has promised to name their first child after the city councillor, meaning there will be another Mohini Singh growing up in Kelowna. Sydney Morton, Global News. What a great story, congratulations to them. Coming up, turning a lifelong passion to profit. Meet the local tabla drummer who's taking his talents straight to the bank. That's coming up after sports. Stay with us. Don't miss the Vancouver Fall Home Show coming October 20th through 23rd. Get real home advice from trusted local experts, get inspiration, and see the latest trends on everything from kitchen and bath, flooring, and more. Tickets at VancouverFallHomeShow.com. BC Cancer Foundation has launched the most ambitious and comprehensive health campaign in BC's history. To activate BC cancer experts, advance innovation, and accelerate accessibility to world-class care for every British Columbian. Give today at GoBeyondBeliefBC.ca. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Welcome back. Barry DeLay is back with mm -hmm. some Seahawks. Yeah, we're going to start with NFL. Game for football fans. Yeah, as always, Sunday is. Mm -hmm. And uh, get excited about that for the next uh, few months. When, it, <laughs> when it's rainy, you always got football. All right, thanks, Sarah. The Seahawks, we're looking to get back to the 500 mark and get back to some sort of respectability on the defensive side of the ball. They are a long ways away from those Legion of Boom glory days. Seattle's defense ranked 32nd against the rush. That's worst in the NFL. Today they hosted NFC West rival Arizona. Now Kyler Murray can run, and we know what Taysom Hill did to the Hawks last week, running for three touchdowns. First possession, Murray showing off that skill set, finds some room, and then gallops for a 42-yard pickup. That led to a Cardinal field goal. But credit the Hawks' defense. They only gave up 37 rush yards the rest of the half and no more points. So starting to find their game. Seattle's rush game now depending on rookie Kenneth Walker after Rashad Penny's season ended with an ankle injury last week. Walker looking good, a 34-yard scamper. Seahawks got a field goal out of it. Seattle led 9-3 at the half, all on field goals. Third quarter, more from the rookie, Kenneth Walker. Looks like he stopped for a short gain, but a great move keeps the legs pumping. That led to another field goal, and it's 12-3 Seattle. Then late in the third, the Seahawks punting out of their own end zone. Kicker Michael Dixon pulled it down, thought it would be blocked, ended up getting tackled and fumbles. It's a touchdown Arizona. Second straight week, Dixon has done pretty much exactly that. Geno didn't like it. 12-9 after three, fourth quarter. Seattle finally finds the end zone, and it's Kenneth Walker again. 11-yard TD at 97 yards rushing in his first NFL start. 19-9 Seahawks, and that was plenty for their defense this week. They stopped the Cardinals four times on fourth down, and they sacked Kyler Murray six times. Big bounce back for the Hawks defense. They win 19-9. Seattle now 3-3. Three three. Cards drop to 2-4. Meanwhile, NFC West leaders San Francisco at Atlanta tied at 14 in the second quarter. Falcon quarterback 
Marcus Mariota on the quarterback keeper, a three-yard touchdown, 21-14 Atlanta, who ran for 168 yards on the day. They're the top rushing team in the NFL. Mariota also had a pair of touchdown passes, this one to Kyle Pitts, and the Falcons do the Hawks a favor, beating San Fran 28-14. Niners are 3-3 three and three, along with the Rams and Seahawks in the NFC West. Bills and Chiefs rematch of their amazing AFC playoff last year. Josh Allen took a while to get going today, but late second quarter finishes a drive that started on his own four-yard line, connects with Gabe Davis on the 34-yard touchdown. It was 10 all at the half. Third quarter, Patrick Mahomes' turn for some magic, just keeps this play alive like only he can, then finds McCole Herdman on, in the end zone, zips it in for the touchdown, 17-all, another great battle between Allen and Mahomes. Fourth quarter, Bills down three, Josh Allen taking matters into his own hands, or more likely his legs. Check out the high hurdle. That's a six-foot-five, 238-pound guy doing the high hurdle. Couple plays later, it's Allen firing a laser into the end zone for Dawson Knox. Touchdown, Bills. No epic comeback for the Chiefs this time. Buffalo wins 24-20, and you get the feeling these teams will meet again in January, possibly in Buffalo. Tom Brady and the Bucks in Pittsburgh didn't go well for Brady's Bucks. The Abbotsford kid, Chase Claypool, with his first touchdown catch of the season from Steeler backup Mitch Trubisky in for the injured Kenny Pickett. That touchdown was the difference. Steelers win it 20 to 18. They're now two and four. The Bucks dropped to three and three. The Lions were all about the explosive plays last night in their 40-32 win over the Blue Bombers. The defense, who told us in a story earlier this week they needed to make more of a difference, they definitely did with two pick-six touchdown returns. And for the first time this year, the return game was actually a factor. It was brilliant. Terry Williams had an incredible 341 total return yards. All of that helped the Lions offense that again wasn't that sharp under Vernon Adams Jr. Bombers rested MVP candidate Zach Caleros and started rookie Drew Brown. Brown had his moments in the second half. But uh, in the first half, he is picked off by the former bomber, a bomber, Marcus Sales. 45-yard pick six. Lions secondary know they need to make these kinds of plays for this team to have success. It was 17-10 BC. Before the half was out, the Bombers, Mark Leggio with a 52-yard field goal attempt. It is short. Terry Williams runs onto it and then cranks it up. It's a 90-yard return. Williams returned three missed field goals for 155, had another 152 yards in kickoff returns, and three punt returns for 34 yards. 341 combined yards. That's why they got him from Ottawa, and he was dynamic all night long. Vernon Adams Jr. was inconsistent. The best decision he made all night, throw it up high and let Dominique Rimes go get it. 23-yard touchdown. Adams, 13 of 22, just 138 yards. I thought he should have ran more. He's more effective when he runs. 27-10 at the half, B.C. Winnipeg, though, hung tough, made a game of it, but the Lions D stepped up when they needed it. T.J. Lee with the interception, and he returns at 102 yards. That's a long ways. Lions win 40-32, a win next week in Edmonton, clinches second and a home playoff date. Nathan Rourke. Needs to get back, though, and they hope that he will play the final game in Winnipeg and then in the playoffs. But the defense and special teams were great last night. Uh, yeah, I mean, we came together as a D um, and as a team. You know, we made more big plays than him. Uh, and as defensive backs, you know, we harped on the details and uh, making more plays than him. And that's, that's what it equaled. Because it's towards the end of the season, um, it's the most important one. Um, because we want to turn the tide and we want to turn these games into wins towards the second half of the season. We want to win out. 
you know. So, I mean, this is the first step. Uh, we don't care who win the peg, bring across. We're ready for it. Shout out to our O-line, too. They, they give me a great look. I promise they give you a great look at practice. They make it hard on me to make the cuts and get the reads. So I'm glad, I'm glad for the units, like, all around. Like, them guys, they showed that, you know, they're not a, a weak link. These, this, is, this is a unit to be, you know, reckoned with. Like, they, they, they legit. We legit. <laughs> The Canucks hope to get win number one this season tomorrow in Washington. Canucks are 0-2 so far. Today they called up defenseman Noah Juleson from Abbotsford. Tucker Pullman rather left yesterday's game in Philadelphia after the first period with an undisclosed injury. Pullman's had migraine issues in the past, but so far the Canucks have not commented. Great day for Canada's Felix Ojealiasim in Florence, Italy. This is match point and an ace for Felix as he wins the Forenza Open over American J.J. Wolf 6-4-6-4. It's Ojealiasim's second career ATP singles title. The 22-year-old is now ranked number 10 in the world rankings. English Premiership Manchester City and Liverpool. Reds have struggled this year. which would be a big boost to beat the defending champs. No goals until the second half when Liverpool goalkeeper Allison unleashes the long kick. Mo Salah chips it past the defender, races in and scores, sending Anfield into a frenzy. That was the only goal of the match. 1-0 Liverpool with the win. Just one baseball divisional series left. Yankees and Guardians. Game four from Cleveland tonight. New York's got a win to stay alive. Top second already up 1-0. Harrison Bader with a two-run homer to left off Canadian Cal Quantrill. His dad, Paul, pitched for the Blue Jays back in the late 90s. But another Ontarian, Josh Naylor, crushes a solo homer to right center for the Guardians. Off Yankee starter Garrett Cole cuts the lead to 3-2. Right now it's 4-2 New York in the eighth. The winner of this series gets Houston in the American League Championship Series. Philly and San Diego meet in the NLCS starting Tuesday. One of the great parts about team sports is being able to do something special together with what turns out to be your closest friends, your teammates. But it goes even deeper than that. For Shay and Charlie Baker, the Vancouver sisters are playing volleyball together at the other end of the country at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Volleyball has always been a source of togetherness for the Baker sisters, 21-year-old Shay and 19-year-old Charlie. They're a couple years apart, but did play two years of high school volleyball together in Vancouver. And when Shay decided to play her university volleyball at Queen's in Kingston, Ontario, Charlie soon followed. It's nice to have your sister there, and it's fun. Like, we're making these memories together, and our parents, like, love it, of course. that <laughs> We're, like, playing together. It's, like, the best thing for them. So, yeah, it's really nice. Once we came to the same school, just we've been so close and I feel really, really lucky to have that because at the end of the day, I think she is my best friend as well as being my teammate and my sister. They also happen to be excellent volleyball players. Both were highly recruited out of high school. This is their second season together at Queens. Shay is the setter, Charlie a middle blocker. I think of Shay and Charlie, the first thing that comes to mind is just like what fantastic people and, and amazing teammates they are. They support all their teammates, so it's, it's really um, a big piece of our culture and what we're trying to do. The Golden Gales have designs on a national championship this year, and the Baker sisters figure to be a key part of that goal. Beyond school, they both hope they can continue their volleyball adventure in Europe in the pro leagues there. No matter where they end up, that sister bond will always be strong. When I like think about my friends and like my family and like who I turn to the most like she's the number one person for me like she always supports me through everything and I think that like comfortability that we have together is really special and like that's really what I love so much about her. 
how she is with her friends and how she is with our family and the way that she carries herself. It's such an inspiration and also I think we just have fun together. I feel so comfortable around her like she mentioned and I just feel very myself around her which I love having that. Yeah. It's obvious nothing comes between these two. Well maybe there's that one thing. Oh, just about clothes. Just when we're sharing clothes, then we get a little bit mad. But other than that, no, no. We, ha we don't really fight like at all. No. Oh, great what kids. a great story. You can yeah. tell they look up to each other. How yeah. cool is that? That's nice. Well, I tell you what, it's rare. You, you know, family dynamics aren't always that perfect. <laughs> and it's great that they have that. Very cool. Great story. Barry. Thanks. Thanks for that. Coming up, meet the man who's turned a childhood passion into profit. That's coming up the break. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant, who's brought to you in part by Van Camp Breakways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Join Variety, the children's charity and Global BC as we celebrate Variety Week, October 17th to 21st. Tune into Global News as we share stories that highlight the hope your help can bring. Variety Week on Global BC. Welcome back. Well, not a lot of people play tabla drums as a profession, but Cassius Khan has turned his childhood passion and talent for drumming into a skill that's made him an in-demand artist and performer. Here's Jay Durant with This Is BC. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, this all started at a young age. Cassius Khan would tap his fingers on the washing machine, pots and pans, anything that made noise. But his parents weren't too keen when he started to focus all his attention on music. Thinking they would educate their children to become lawyers and doctors and engineers. And then you have this kid who wants to be a tabla player. He was in his teens when the music community started to take notice. And then word kind of spread in the music community that there's this young curly haired kid, you know, and who's like banging on these cool drums and producing some great sound. Bands and artists from all genres invited Khan to join them. Everything from jazz and blues to heavy metal and folk. He even toured the country with some of them, stopping in places he'd never heard before. I've been to Rwanda. I've been to Beaverton, I've been to Unity. It was just that, you know, our touring manager would say, hey, this is where you're going and that's where we would go. Khan's received many accolades. He's been nominated for a Juno and Western Canadian Music Award proving to mom and dad that this hasn't been such a bad career choice. There has been situations where like, oh, so when are you going to get a real job? And I'm like, well, this is a real job, you know. But the best part has been playing with so many talented musicians, from small towns in Canada to international festivals around the world. You may not speak their language and they may not understand you, but... Music is the one language that's understandable to everyone. It's a universal language, so we communicate through music. And, and that's the beauty of it. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. I know to all parents there whose kids are into drums, that <laughs> hey, look what can happen. <laughs> um, quick look at weather, Yvonne, before we go. Uh, we are looking at a very hazy conditions, poor air quality, especially for eastern areas. That's extending in towards the Fraser Valley, so do keep that in mind, especially if you have respiratory issues. You want to try and limit that amount of time spent outdoors. Overnight, we may even see some fog, so something to keep in mind for that morning commute. And then as we get in through the day tomorrow, we'll see haze. Those temperatures will still bump up away from the water. We'll be into the low 20s. 
20s in the coming days. So a warmer start to the week, still dry conditions. And then as we approach our Thursday evening, that's we'll start to see that increase in cloud cover. And then we're really hoping on Friday that the rain is going to materialize. It should be periods of rain, potentially 10. A few spots could get up to 20 millimeters. It's much needed. We're still underneath that level five for our drought, and we'll be tracking that rainfall on our Friday. Fingers crossed. Let's hope for some rain. Thank you so much, Yvonne. That's all for us tonight. Thanks for sharing part of your evening with us. We'll see you right back here at 11 o'clock. Good night.